2: The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life.
3: Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish life. We are Irish life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Inside Business Podcast. I'm Cliff Taylor, standing in this week for Kieran Hancock. On today's show, I'll be discussing Britain's plans to introduce a temporary tariff regime in the event of a no-deal Brexit. The announcement made this morning also said that no new checks or controls will be introduced on goods moving from Ireland to Northern Ireland if the UK crashes out of the European Union. Joining me on the line from London to talk about this will be Ali Rennison, Head of EU and Trade Policy at the UK's Institute of Directors. And in studio we're joined by Cormac Healy, Senior Director of IBEX Meat Industry Ireland. Later on I'll be talking to Irish Times Business Affairs correspondent Mark Paul about his recent trip to Birmingham to discuss Brexit with business owners there. But before that, Peter Hamilton is in studio for a roundup of some of the week's other stories. Peter, we'll be talking about Boeing, of course, in a minute, but what else has been going on?
2: Well, I suppose the big news uh, this morning and, and yesterday yesterday evening rather was the, the digital tax and the fact that ambitions to introduce this digital tax have been put to rest temporarily. Uh, EU finance ministers agreed to freeze the matter until the end of 2020, pending work uh, at the OECD. Now, it's worth noting Ireland, along with a number of small other small countries, had strongly opposed the digital tax. The larger entities like France, France has now pressed ahead and introduced its own national measures. Yeah. Uh, and the US seems to be... On board to some degree, although they 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 are now referring France to the the WTO uh, uh, as a result of its moves on on the digital tax. So it's unclear where it'll go, and it's unclear where uh, we will end up. Now, Minister Donoghue has accepted that some change needs to be made, but Ireland escapes the risk for for another year or two anyway. Yeah, for the moment. Yeah, indeed we'll, we'll see how it plays out by by 2020. The mortgage market some news. <laughs> I suppose relatively small news. We knew that on post was looking at getting into the market. Yeah. Uh we now have a timeline some to some degree, they've said they plan to get into the mortgage market in the spring of next year. It came after they launched their new loan product this morning yeah. uh, at a briefing in the GPO. That that product is for between €5,000 and €75,000, with terms ranging from one to seven years. And they'll operate that on a, a, with a, a tiered APR, depending on one's credit rating, starting from about 8.5%. Uh, now, the, the, the moves into the financial services sector... Yeah comes as Unpost really has turned around its its financial situation recorded a profit of 40 million last year turnover just shy of 900 million and that's up from uh, and the profit is up from 8.4 million the previous year so it is it is quite a turnaround given that only 2 years ago we were talking about a deficit of 15 million in in its sure. accounts uh, they've also started this brand investment uh, and they've launched a credit card they already have a foreign exchange card and while they've closed 152 of their branches they have they, they said today and they confirmed that there won't be any uh, compulsory closures uh, in, in branches.
3: And obviously the parcel business is being good too, on post as well, given the amount of shopping that's going on online.
2: It is, and given the trend in mails on post has done very well here. They have a market share of over 40%. They've enlisted new clients, including H&M and IKEA, and they say it's becoming an increasingly important part of their business. They say at Christmas they witnessed growth of 60% on the previous year. Good news for all post but possibly not so not so good news for Irish retailers. No,
3: yeah, indeed, indeed, absolutely. Now the big business story of this week has been developments at Boeing. Take us through what's happened.
2: Well, I, I suppose just before we uh, I came into here, Canada announced that it was suspending flights of the Boeing seven three seven Max eight. So where this comes from is is the crash of the Ethiopian Air Airlines flight on Sunday evening. The tragic flight killed all one hundred and fifty seven people on board, including one Irish passenger. The issue here for regulators is that this has been connected by commentators. It must be said, mm. but this has been connected with the crash of the Lion Air flight in October. Mm. And the analysis of that flight showed that the pilots had difficulty in maintaining uh, controlled flight as their aircraft repeatedly went into a nose down dive. So what's happened since is that a plethora of European uh, and international regulators have decided to suspend flights of the MAX 8 in some circumstances and in, in other circumstances it's also the MAX 9 uh, these including are, the Irish regulator. Including the Irish regulator and the European, the European uh, regulator. Yeah. Um, these planes, it should be said, are are fast becoming the workhorse of the sky. They're a, a more efficient narrow-body aircraft than others. Uh, so they have been very popular and Irish aircraft lessors have been increasingly interested in these. Uh, with Aircap, I understand, have more than 100 orders and Avalon have in the region of 75. For Irish passengers, what was particularly bad was the fact that Norwegian Air also flies them and they fly them on their transatlantic Routes uh, to the U.S. Two flights were cancelled yes- yesterday, discommoding up to 768 passengers. Another one flight was cancelled today. Norwegian was able to get the Dreamliner, another Boeing aircraft, uh, onto the route there. And is the view,
3: Peter, that this is something temporary that it will be solved quickly, or that it could be something more long-lasting, or do we just not know?
2: I suppose that the starting point is we're not entirely sure. But what what again? Some commentators are saying is that this is effectively. A software patch, similar to one you, uh, slightly more complicated, but similar to one you'd get on a, an app on your phone. Yeah. This is something Boeing can affect quite easily if there is a problem. But Boeing have said there is not a problem, and they reiterated their support last night in the Max Eight, as has the FAA, the, the US regulator. They issued a, a an airworthiness certificate, a renewed airworthiness certificate. So they're confident that there's nothing really wrong with this now. But the Canada's move. Uh, is is a sting for Boeing because they were a key ally in this. Is the FAA under pressure in the US to move? They are to some degree now. Some uh, lawmakers in the US have started to push to say it's time to suspend these flights. The, the most prominent ones so far are the Republican Senator Mitt, Mitt Romney and the Democratic uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren. I, look, I suppose these are, as I mentioned, while they're becoming increasingly popular in Europe, they are very popular in the US. Southwest fly them, American fly them. Mm. It'll, be, it'll cause quite a lot of damage if these are suspended in the US. Yeah, huge issue for Southwest Airlines in particular. And I presume
3: when the black box analysis is completed in after the latest crash, that will... That will give us some more information.
2: It will. It'll it'll give us some more information and it will tell us exactly what Boeing needs to do if there is a problem. And if there isn't a problem, then one would imagine these these flights... It's quite remarkable if there is a software problem that it wasn't fixed after the Lion Air crash. Indeed. And also it doesn't reflect very well on on the US regulator if it turns out that there is a problem. OK. Peter Hamilton, thank you for joining us. I'm joined in studio
3: now by Cormac Healy from IBEX Meat Industry Ireland. And on the line from London is the Head of EU and Trade Policy at the UK's Institute of Directors, Ali Rennison. Today, the UK announced the tariffs that it intended to apply in the case of a no-deal Brexit uh, on imports coming into the country. Ali Rennison, could you just run us through the very high-level points uh, of what was announced today?
1: Sure. So this has obviously been a long time coming. I have to say that there wasn't a huge amount of public consultation with industry beforehand, so a lot of people have... Felt fairly in the dark about it. Uh, And effectively, basically, the UK is um, uh, reducing or scrapping tariffs on about 87 percent of its tariff lines, but is keeping uh, protections, although reducing some of them uh, in some of the more sensitive sectors, particularly around agri-food, in particular uh, the meat sector. Um, uh, and then also for cars and some industrial goods, where there are producer competing producer interests. Uh, and the idea behind this is that it's going to be uh, temporary. We think, uh, assume that's going to be the full 12 months, um, and are anticipating that there will be further consultation uh, thereafter once, if we are in that no deal scenario, on what they should be permanently.
3: Okay, and tariffs would remain in the food sector or in parts of the food sector. Why, why is that happening?
1: Well, the reason that's happening is because we have a lot of producer interests here as well. Um, so if you think about it from the perspective of um, uh, the beef sector, there are concerns about if you basically, because of uh, World Trade Organization rules, if you don't have a deal, you have to treat everyone the same. Um, and obviously, if uh, if you're talking to a lot of people in the meat production sector, while on the one hand, there are concerns about um, uh, tariffs being faced on goods coming into the UK from the EU, they're also very much concerned about if you basically get get rid of all those tariffs um, that you have, uh, Brazilian beef, for example, um, uh, coming in and what people would call potentially flooding the market. Um, And if that's done overnight, you basically could make uh, those domestic producers, particularly in those sensitive sectors, the price of their products drop through the floor overnight. So they become uncompetitive pretty quickly.
3: And what's the reaction been, uh, Ali, of of British business uh, and I guess of the food sector in particular? we see some criticism uh, on the news wires from the big business organisation saying look businesses just don't have enough time to prepare now this is only a couple of weeks to go to a potential no deal brexit
1: so i think there's two things to think about it here one is about the actual actions themselves the tariffs themselves and one is about the one issue is about the process um, and i think a lot of What you have seen today is um, anger and frustration from businesses that we've only been given that kind of notice uh, with two weeks to go. And there's been no widespread public consultation about this. A lot of the conversations have happened sort of ad hoc and recently with specific parts of industry. Um, uh, Now, in terms of the tariffs themselves... I think that there have been, you know, it's obviously in some sectors there are necessary mitigations to uh, offset the potential for food price inflation necessarily. So I suppose you could say it, it, it's not necessarily as controversial um, to get rid of tariffs in those areas if they if they keep uh, both um, EU imports flowing and reduce the cost for consumers in those areas that we don't produce. The one that you always hear about, for example, is, is oranges. Um okay. The other reason that that, however, is potentially an issue more for the government is because we want to embark on free trade negotiations with new partners, uh, particularly under a no-deal scenario, pretty quickly, uh, and I think that that may complicate, um, particularly if we don't know what tariffs are going to go back up um, at the negotiations with them to some extent as well. So I think there's one con- sort of set of concerns, a lot of the pushback has been about the process of this, um, uh, and then there's the actual tariffs themselves, uh, which, which the government has referred to as a modest liberalisation. But the the reality is that when you are talking about, you know, you look only have to look westward at how politicized the issue of what to do with tariffs has become. It's a really sensitive issue. It's not something you do um, uh, at a stroke of a pen normally. uh, And I think that's why it's caused so much consternation.
3: Okay, but in the areas where tariffs have been traditionally high, such as the food sector, Mm -hmm. uh, they're staying high.
1: They're staying high. Well, there are some reductions that we're seeing uh, in certain parts of the food sector, but on the really sensitive ones, um, uh, as far as I can see, uh, some of the EU tariffs um, that, that are currently applied to UK imports, we are we are reciprocating in certain areas. Um, uh, I think the big, issue, the big issue is in sectors when you try and figure out what the trade-offs are, where you both produce so you have concerns about EU uh, imports from the rest of the world coming in without a trade deal, but also you you, you import from the EU and export. And one of the ways that we've seen that in particular is in cheddar. Um, there are a lot of competing interests under a no-deal scenario for people who are making cheddar in the UK to worry about. So I think those are the more controversial areas because it's really hard to basically balance out those priorities.
3: Yeah, cheddar, obviously a key interest uh, for Ireland as well as we're as we're a big exporter into that market. But so is the, the beef sector. And I'm, I'm also joined by Cormac Healy of Meat Industry Ireland. Cormac, obviously worrying developments for the beef sector, Uh, the UK is one of your biggest markets you may face, or it looks like if there is a no-deal scenario, you're going to face tariffs uh, at a very high level selling to that market and also potentially new competition.
4: Uh, Certainly, Cliff, yeah. I mean, there's no, as we've said for quite some time, we can't see any silver lining or good aspect to Brexit and, and today has has not changed our view on that. Uh, I suppose the first thing to say before actually discussing the tariffs and the announcement this morning, uh, because that announcement is just, uh, you know, as I would say, a symptom of a hard Brexit if we end up in a no-deal scenario. The very worrying thing is that we have, you know, last night's vote in the Parliament showed again that the UK Parliament wasn't in a position to ratify the withdrawal agreement and probably took us a step closer to the reality of a hard Brexit. Certainly it took us a step away from an orderly uh, exit of the UK from the European Union, which, which is what business across the board has been has been looking for. As far as the actual announcements uh, this morning uh, are concerned, uh, I suppose we had some uh, indication of them. know two weeks ago uh, there were certain suggestions and leaks from uh, from the UK as to what they would do, but particularly for beef. Uh, And as Ali has said, there's a a range of approaches have been adopted depending on the sector and depending on the products. Uh, For example, pig meat has has attracted a a tariff that would be 13% of what the EU tariff schedule is. Um, on the other hand, beef has uh, attracted a tariff that is 53% of what the EU tariff schedule is. So still very substantial tariffs on beef and tariff levels that can still range up to, up to two and a half thousand euros per tonne. Uh, and we do see them, uh, while they are not the full level of tariff, we do see them as being something that will seriously undermine trade.
3: Would it effectively price your products out of the UK market? Uh,
4: I think there's a, there's a combination of things we have to look at here. The first is that they have maintained tariffs on beef and at a very a very substantial level. They have also opened up a tariff rate quota, a quota where in which the duty would be free or zero. Um, so this
3: is this is a certain amount of beef that can enter the UK market tariff free. Exactly,
4: and it would look like the UK government has kind of opted for a. If you like a fifty-fifty approach on uh, as regards beef, on the one hand it has imposed tariffs, on the other hand it has opened up a quota with zero tariffs, but a quota that is substantially less than their actual imports. The quotas that it has announced this morning uh, come to about one hundred and eighty thousand tons. The UK imports somewhere in the region of four hundred and forty thousand tons. So it's it's a it's a, a small quota relative to their overall demand. Uh, so our, our concern is 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 one dealing with this tariff threshold uh, that has been opposed imposed uh, and equally uh, in, in in a hard, I mean, obviously this is in a hard Brexit scenario, uh, the tariff quota that has been opened up is open to all uh, suppliers from around the world. So we will see increasing uh, volumes of beef from around the world, South America, but North America equally and Australia. And And to pick up on a point that Ali mentioned in relation to sensitivity in certain sectors and the need to protect perhaps the agri-food sector from some of these global imports. Uh, I think the UK government has probably missed, uh, missed the, the point on this because uh, I think we will see, given the approach they've taken, an increasing volume of uh, South American beef, for example, accessing and the, uh, the UK And obviously that market. has a
3: price advantage over Irish beef
4: Certainly, and and over UK beef as well. I mean, UK and UK farmers uh, have, you know, they have some of the highest prices uh, in Europe and and globally. Uh, They would certainly have concerns around increased volumes of South American beef uh, accessing their market at probably... Price levels that are 50% of uh, of the of the prices that pertain either in the UK or in Ireland. Uh, Brazil price is, is closer to €2.20, whereas, you know, the European price is somewhere in the region of €4 Euros per kilo.
1: And, and I think that's why, by the way, just to add that, you know, um, you get the kind of discussion about reducing tariffs in those sensitive sectors, usually, um, not always, but usually in a bilateral negotiation. Basically, the question of reciprocity is really important because it's very difficult to unilaterally do a lot of this stuff. Now, a lot of that did happen in the 70s and the 80s. You know, you look at, for example, Australia used to have extremely high tariffs on on, on automotives. Um, and it did do unilateral action to bring those down. However, in today's world, it's pretty politically challenging to do that unilaterally. And that's why very often it's done in a bilateral reciprocal way, um, so that you are getting better access to another country's market in exchange for giving up uh, more to your own.
3: So you're saying Ali, that these could this could be used as a bargaining chip if you like by the u k. and future negotiations on trade deals with the EU and other.
1: Well, Other it's countries. certainly one of the reasons why I think unilateral action is always so so sensitive because people mm. want to um, uh, get something in return for giving up um, uh, access to their own market. Um, now, again, the, the, the oranges part is, is is where I think that's particularly re- relevant to the point that you were making is um, sometimes, you know, uh, even if you don't produce a certain good, you might want to use it as capital. Now, that's, that is a very mercantilist way of looking at it, but that is how trade negotiations and countries around the world, apart from the countries, you know, you sometimes hear arguments about we should be more like Singapore and Hong Kong. Mm. They don't really have many domestic producers and that's why it's been easier politically yeah. uh, for that to happen. Yeah,
3: it's been seen in trade negotiations over the years, the farmers being particularly uh, important lobby, Cormac.
4: Yeah, I, I mean, I, absolutely. Uh, here in Ireland, um, perhaps in the UK, maybe they, they don't get the same hearing. I certainly think the, the UK government, as I understood it, in looking at what it was going to do on tariff, uh, on its tariff schedule, was taken into account impact on producer prices, as, as Ali has said. Equally, it was looking at impact on consumer prices. And then the third aspect of their analysis was around what impact it would have on their ability to do future trade deals. One One thing... That I think should have happened, uh, I believe could have happened would be better for for u k producers uh, overall and, and and possibly not not uh, have a negative impact on u k consumers was in relation to the quota that they had opened. We have a view that that quota should uh, should be based on traditional trading patterns. Mm. It would have rather maintained traditional trading patterns. Now, I would say that from a self-interest point sure. of view, but I think it would have suited certainly UK producers also that it was more a maintenance, a continuity of of the kind of product that was coming into their market sure. at the price levels it was coming in. Possibly. I, yeah, I mean, It, it's it was something you should get, have been considered, I think, by the sure. UK government. Sure. And I think like, that
1: you get so much attention. Uh, that's reflective of the headlines today are all about tariffs. Now, really, what can sometimes make a bigger difference, and, and you might have actually got away with doing more action on that um, because people tend to be more interested in the tariff line rather than the quota itself. Uh, but a lot of the focus has been on the tariff lines when, in fact… You can do a lot more. There's a lot more room for new manoeuvre in either direction, depending on who you are, which government you are and which industry you're thinking about when you look at the quotas. But everyone today has really been fixating on the tariff level itself.
3: Sure. We've been going through the quotas here as well and trying to make sense of them. Cormac, government assistance, EU assistance. Is that on the table now for the Irish beef sector?
4: i think it needs to be on the table I mean the first thing we have to say uh cliff is that this is we're st- we're still in a, in a in a situation of we haven't arrived at a brexit date be that the 29th or possibly uh some date in the in the future as business as a, as a meat processing sector uh we want to see an orderly exit we want to see a deal uh but we certainly believe there needs to be at this stage uh, a long extension to uh, to to the process because I think it, it's showing again this morning how how ill prepared uh, many sections uh, of 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 industry of of administration actually are in relation to this if there are tariffs or or or, or uh, these import quotas that are significantly going to re- re- restrict the volumes of of our exports to the uk market then Brussels, we will be looking to Brussels and the Irish government for supports. We believe in a tariff scenario. The most effective mechanism is still some form of tariff support mechanism that would would try to offset that impact. After all, I think tariffs are basically a tax on trade. I mean, what will happen in a scenario where tariffs are imposed by the UK and also by the European Union on UK exports into the community is that the authorities, the coffers, the public coffers, are taking money out of the commercial arena. We believe that should be recycled in. Ali, your
3: view on an extension, the view of our, our UK business, at least on, on the possibility yeah, of an would, extension?
1: Yeah, exactly what I was going to come on to. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, it's such a contentious issue here, and I have to say from a business organisation perspective, um, you know, it is a constant balancing act to explain to people why... Um, An extension is A, necessary, and B, why, if you're looking at it on balance, purely from a a sort of business-critical perspective Mm – Why a longer one, I guess, makes more sense. The problem with doing that here is that, you know, you immediately get seized upon for trying to call for something that allows, you know, another referendum to be held. It is it is it is a really thorny environment for business in the UK to be in when we talk about these things because they are so politically uh, charged now on the extension itself. Again talking to businesses, um, you know, it's not something they want. They would rather this process be done and dusted. Is mm. it the least worst option if there's no deal to avoid that? Yes. But do we want to be redoing it every three to six weeks? Absolutely not.
3: OK, so certainty is would, would be at a premium. One other thing, Ali, special arrangements were announced for the Irish border uh, in terms of how tariffs would apply and, and how the British government would try to avoid checks at, at border points, uh, as it has promised to do, what's what's your view on the announcement there?
1: Well, we knew it was coming. There have been some business groups who have been privy to that, but um, not able to share with members, which I think has been one of the most frustrating parts about this process, quite mm. frankly. Uh so obviously, particularly just sticking with tariffs for a minute, um, the w- way in which that they are going to get around that is that basically they're just not not just a question of collection. There will be no tariffs collected by the UK government on products coming in over the land border um, from uh, the Republic uh, into north in, into the UK into um uh, uh, Northern Ireland, but uh, they will apply to goods coming from, let's say, uh, the Republic uh, into GB, for example. Um, and I think the issue around there is that a lot of these proposals uh, in terms of, you know, the systems needed to actually administer that to make it work to avoid the physical land border uh, haven't really been significantly road tested with many businesses. And so there's a huge concern about, you know, you everyone knows at this point that uh, all the letters that have been been sent out for the last two months to traders about new customs processes have had a provisional this does not apply to trade across the irish border we'll deal with you separately uh and so there's a lot of anger i think and frustration about the fact that we are now only properly engaging with government to try and make those systems that are needed to make that work two weeks before that outcome Uh, i would say however that it probably puts uh and maybe a you can correct me if I'm wrong. It probably mm. potentially puts pressure on the Irish government and the EU to make clear what their own uh, contingency measures would be around the border.
3: Yeah, no, I think I think that's exactly right. Um,
1: just
4: just, uh, just to, to come in on that, Cliff, and a, a question maybe for Ali as well. I mean, I, I've heard it suggested this morning that the the um, the issue of not um, applying tariffs on. Product uh, uh, that would flow from the Republic of Ireland to Northern Ireland is in relation to product that would be consumed or used or stay in Northern Ireland. Uh, yep. I'm wondering if you have a view on that because I mean, obviously well, the case then is,
1: <laughs> yeah, they, well, the <laughs> case the
4: case then is that are we going to have checks at uh, Belfast for for product heading across to yep. uh, to the UK? And and a final point, I suppose, in in terms of extension. I mean we're 16 days out now i mean one of the biggest concerns our industry has in 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 uh, in processing in meat processing is that we're we're processing animals now that we don't know exactly what the market condition will be. What we have some indication now of a potential tariff that might be there and industry has taken on a huge amount of risk and hence I think no matter what I agree that we don't want uh, to be reaching this point every six weeks as, as Ali has said. That said, uh, we don't want to be the ones to close the door either and, and, and actually invite this upon ourselves so we would look for a, a long extension of this Okay, uh,
3: Ali, a fi- final comment on the workability of that Northern Ireland uh, exemption?
1: It's a bit like, actually, ironically, the the backstop, insofar as to make it really mm. operational. Some of the questions, such as the one that was just raised, aren't completely 100% addressed. Uh, and that's because, you know, in, in terms of the question mark around, does that mean that you end up needing, uh, for lack of a better word, yeah. a border in the Irish Sea, to a certain yeah. extent. Um, a toxic phrase uh, and that's itself. Not <laughs> Yeah, so Yes, much, uh, much, a loaded one these days. Indeed. Um, So doing it in reverse to a certain extent. And some of those are not really clear. You know, we've had meetings with government today, and I will say that they have been frustrating ones where we have made pretty clear to them uh, that the question that was just asked, for example, um, we can't give a firm answer to because a lot of the full details of how the proposals will work in practice aren't out in the public domain. We, we, this is basically, I think, you know, you, I would call on the question why the government did publish it today. Now, we know that you couldn't publish tariffs um, and the, the uh, what's happening around the border from the UK perspective. Uh, it's sort of in, in, in isolation, separate from each other. Mm. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that's missing, effectively.
3: OK, more gaps to be filled in. Ali Renison and Cormac-Keeley, thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back after the break.
0: Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach
3: to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to IrishLifeEmpower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Welcome back. I'm joined now by Irish Times Business Affairs correspondent Mark Paul to hear about a recent reporting trip he made to Britain's second city, Birmingham. Give me an overview of who you met, what the feeling is about Brexit.
0: We picked Birmingham to go to uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, um, First of all, it's a city that was split almost exactly down the middle in the Brexit vote and we wanted to see if it was still split down the middle now and if its business community was split down the middle. I mean, in the 2016 vote, um, uh, there was only a majority of 3,800 votes in Birmingham. so It was split down the middle. So... um, um, I suppose I went there on a bit of a safari for, uh, for 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 the business section to see how how if local business owners there are as obsessed about Brexit as we are in Ireland. And for a city like Birmingham, which is so export oriented, it's so um, it's got you know it's got the car industry, um, and it's got a lot of things that are very very deeply connected to, to, to Brexit. And we wanted to see if uh, if 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 those people are, are tearing their hair out. And what we found, and what I found while I was there, is that they're not really. Um, um, they seem an awful lot more uh, uh, level-headed and, and, and sort of you know to have that British stiff upper lip about about Brexit um, and than you would expect. I mean, just uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the first guy I met was a guy called um, Simon Topman, a very very entertaining uh, English gentleman type fellow who owns a company called Acme Whistles. Acme Whistles are the the uh, the they company. <laughs> yes, yeah, they, they they made they made the whistles for the Titanic um, ship, and also Kate Winslet uh, in the movie of the Titanic when she's freezing to death in the water and she blows the whistle to be safe. She blows that an acne is. whistle, and um, so I met the guy who owns that company. Obviously, he imports his metal from um, Italy, most of it, and he exports his his whistles all over the world. And he reckons he'd be hit with tariffs of about three to five percent in, in a no in a no deal Brexit. That guy was a Remainer. Clearly, he was a Remainer. He wouldn't tell me how he voted, um, but he was uh, he was almost gung ho. I would say for a No Deal Brexit because he felt that Britain were uh, was being dragged through the mud. Uh, in a sense, or was being um, held to ransom by the European Union. And um, so, somebody who had voted Remain, uh, whose business would be deeply affected by a No Deal Brexit, but he was fully prepared to take on a No Deal Brexit.
3: So, would it be fair to say at this stage he just wants to get on, He just said, "Let's get on with it." Was that was that the
0: that, part that, of what you picked up? That was effectively it. It was, it was let's get on with it, and 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 you know we. We've dealt with it all before, and sure, look, we can deal with it again. Now you have to see it through the prism of the type of guy that he was. I w- when I met him, um, he had just come from a ceremony of the you know, attended by the Duke of Sussex. He was wearing a black bow tie with <laughs> royal standards on it, and the guy is a, is a, an OBE, I think. Um, so you know, he's a comes from a particular slice of British society, but he was hugely entertaining and very colourful, very warm things to say about Ireland. But as a as a very prominent Birmingham business owner, totally gung ho about Brexit. Um, who else did you meet? Um, one of the reasons another reason that we we went we, we chose Birmingham for this Irish Times Safari was um was, was chocolate and Cadbury's. Uh, and and Cabries has a factory in Coolock in West Dublin, and also its headquarters is in Burnville, um, um in, in, in Birmingham. And and both of those factories, as we speak at the moment, are stockpiling um chocolate, which is magnificent if you can get near the stockpile. <laughs> and, and, and,
3: so so some some chocolate is made in the UK and some chocolate is made in Ireland and yeah, each needs to stockpile the other. Is that Well, is that what's
0: some bars, particular bars yes. are made in Ireland. Particular bars are made in in, yeah. in, in the UK. So, for example, d- the Irish factory makes all of the eight square dairy milks. You know, okay. the, 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 the typical dairy My milks. My own would, personal with, favourite. With yeah, the, with the eight squares. Um, where, whereas the, the factory in Bourneville, for example, makes Bourneville the dark chocolate yeah. that everyone knows. But it also makes the tiffin Tiffins and it makes the Oreo cookie versions yeah. of dairy milk. So, They're stockpiling products and they're stockpiling raw materials. And a no-deal Brexit would be disastrous for a company Mm. um, um, that that its raw ingredients is basically milk. Um, So I went off to... to, to visit Bourneville and, and to visit people around Burnville, um, and to try and get a sense from them as to if, if there was a hard Brexit and if it, you know, the Cadbury's factory in Burnville it, it's, it's a little bit like the Willy Wonka thing. It's, it's essentially the the, the centre of the village, centre of the town, um, and the entire town is built around it. And I asked people around the town if they were worried about what a, a no deal Brexit would mean for their town, if it really badly affected that factory because it could be shut mm. that factory, um, and uh, and. I mean, for example, Barry the Butcher <laughs> that I met up in the local butcher shop, he didn't care at all, you know. And the Do you
3: think lo- pe- people didn't realise what was going to happen or were they, had they just... I, got I, used to the idea and they were going to deal with it, whatever. I,
0: I, I think they were used to the idea and would deal with it, but I, I, I really did detect at an emotional level a, 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 an element of stubbornness, even amongst business owners. Um, that sort of, we won't be told what to do and we won't be put over a barrel kind of a mentality. Um, and then, of course, you have in Birmingham the car industry and, and that, again, was a major reason for going there. Um, and Birmingham was always at the centre of the British tradition of car making. Um, and Now there's just two factories there... I think making cars. Um, one is in Bromley, uh, Bromwich, um, which makes old style Jags, and then Jaguar Land Rover then has a massive, an enormous plant at Solihull, um, just south of Birmingham city. Um, and I mean, that is hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of acres uh, at that campus. Um, and there's a lot of people in the in the Birmingham car industry worried about how that industry in particular will be hit by a No Deal Brexit um, or by any sort of tariffs because tariffs on cars, um, and I think the tariff schedule that was published by the UK government, yeah, tariff- ten, ten percent tariffs, yeah, ten, uh, ten percent, tar- and that's for the first year, I think, is it? Yeah, uh, and, and so I mean, look, could persist, yeah, yeah, they could persist, could they, they could go, they, they could go up, um, and and anybody in Birmingham at the moment supplying. Uh, uh, to, the, to, the, to the big car plants is um, is worried and in particular people are worried about the Bromwich plant because the type of Jaguars that it makes um, are old style saloons posh man cars posh people cars nice. um, and they're, 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 they're not selling all that well um, and, and, and they're, they're worried that that plant could close in, in, in a no deal Brexit situation but also that investment will be um, um, siphoned off from the bigger solihull plant and, and the long term effect of that could be that when the shift is made to electric cars, mm-hmm. that Birmingham would be left out of the picture because all okay. oh, that investment would have had to have been made years before. So there was a lot of worries around uh, the car industry in particular in Birmingham. That that probably was the sector of the economy there that I found and um, where people were the most worried about it.
3: Okay, so short-term consequences but long-term risks as
0: well. Short-term consequences, long-term risks um, um, and also the, the, the impacts on the supply chain. I mean, I, I, I spoke to some academics in in, in, in universities, uh, in Aston University in Birmingham. They were saying about out, but they reckon about 12.5 percent of Birmingham's GDP is at risk from Brexit. Wow. Now, now that doesn't mean that I suppose that 12.5 percent could be wiped out. Mm. Um, but but one eighth of, of of it certainly is at risk of damage. Um, and uh, uh, Birmingham, you, you know, it, it's funny for 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 such a a city that that's. So potentially at risk from Brexit, um, and that the vote there was so close, and they voted for Leave by such a whisker. I mean, if you if you go into some of the neighborhoods, I found really interesting around Birmingham. Mm. Um, for example, do you, I don't know if you, I, I'm sure you'll remember back in 2005 when the when the Rover car plant in Birmingham mm. closed, and this was a massive economic disaster for the region. A lot of the people who worked in that Rover car plant live in a, an area of Birmingham called Northfield, mm. um, and which is predominantly white working class. Uh, uh, um, um, and not you know, not all that all that affluent, um, that part of Birmingham voted overwhelmingly for brexit, which which I found completely nuts because these are the, <laughs> these are the type of people who would be most affected by it. and yeah. um, you go right next door to Selly Oak, which is a little bit more uh, leafy and and, and, and and posher and that was a bit uh, more evenly split. but then you go next door then to Hall Green um, um, and the people there it's much more ethnically diverse, they voted overwhelmingly to stay. Okay. Um, um so it's, it's, it's it, Birmingham really is a microcosm of all of the contradictions and, 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 and of, of the debate of Brexit. And it's probably um, the city in the UK, I would say, most at risk from its effects.
3: And in some cases, uh, as you say, people appearing to vote against their economic interests. So clearly, clearly something else going on. Mark Paul, thanks for sharing the views of Birmingham with us. OK, that's all we have time for this week. Thanks to all our guests, to Jennifer Ryan and JJ Vernon on production and sound, and to all our listeners. Until next time, good luck.